everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. How about them saints? How about them saints? Just when you thought to yourself, filled up from all the leftovers on Turkey Day this weekend, and you thought to yourself, the black and gold, they can't possibly find another way. They can't possibly find a way rather to look dreadful, look like they're the worst team in the National Football League. There's no way they can find a way to do that. Then Dennis Allen and company said, hold my beer, watch this. Watch this. (laughs) I can't. It's just laughable just laughable how bad this team is how bad they execute just how woof-tastic the New Orleans Saints are yet they keep showing us new ways they keep surprising us for all the wrong reasons Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I know it's going to be a lot to get to and get through this morning. If you're a Louisiana Raging Cajun fan, you're feeling good. Your team got bowl eligible. If you're an LSU Tiger fan, eh, you're feeling not so great. You're happy that your team is having a bounce back season, 9-3, and three, going to play in a championship game. Conference championship, that's a good thing getting taken behind the woodshed in the second half by a lifeless Texas A&M team, not so good. Not so good. Pelicans lost earlier in the weekend. The Saints yesterday. But you know what? The holiday weekend is over. The kids are going back to school. And yours truly and the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, is here for you. For the next few hours. You know I want to hear from you. I want to hear from LSU fan. I want to hear from Saints fan this morning. Hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. It's 337-706-0111. You know the number. I hope you have it saved in your phone by now. We have a good show lined up for you. A couple of guests to break down all the weekend action. Jeff Palermo, our friend from Tiger Rag Radio, who joins us every Monday, will be swinging by at 7.30 to give us his thoughts on what I witnessed firsthand at Kyle Field on Saturday. Ooh. Great facility. 
I was surprised. You can tell they're investing money over there in College Station. Cool venue. Not a cool performance by the Tigers. That'll be at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, Corey Diaz, our friend from the Daily Advertiser. He covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He'll hop on to talk about them becoming bow eligible. And where does he think Coach Dez and company will be headed? Will it be to the Independence Bowl, which we've all believed? Or could they be taken somewhere else? Some of the latest bowl projections that came out yesterday have them going in other places. What? We'll break it down with Corey at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, Mr. Positivity himself, Ross Jackson, will try his best to give us positive insight on the train wreck that was the New Orleans Saints, or really, let's be honest, that is the New Orleans Saints. And we're going to start there. Oh, where to begin with a game that was winnable? A game that you had opportunities to win. Credits the Saints defense for rising to the occasion. They played well enough to win this ball game. Now, we can point to some of the miscues. Chris Harris Jr. did not have a good game and probably has no business being on the football field. I'm just saying he he was not good. He was more of a liability than he was an asset in this ballgame. But with the exception of some miscommunication on the back end of the defense and Chris Harris Jr.'s determination to play awful, the defense did its job, right? Jimmy G only held 222 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. They only sacked him once, didn't get the pass rush that you were hoping for, but bottled up San Francisco's run game, under 100 yards rushing. So you hold San Francisco to a mere 13 points. One touchdown, two field goals. You bottle up their run game of Elijah Mitchell and Christian McCaffrey to less than 100 total yards on the ground. Mitchell only had 35. McCaffrey only had 32. That's it. No rushing touchdowns. And you hold Jimmy G under 300 yards passing and only one touchdown. That should be good enough to win the ballgame. Well, Andy Dalton had what I would refer to as a day at the dump. It was trash-tastic. 204 yards passing, no touchdowns. Didn't throw any picks, so that's something. But not to worry, Alvin Kamara said, I got all the turnovers taken care of today. First time in his career he's ever had two fumbles in one game. Ideal time to have it. When your team's trying to win on the road, trying to win back-to-back games for the first time this season. Andy Dalton was also the team's leading rusher. I'll say that again. 
Andy Dalton, the journeyman quarterback in his mid-30s, was the team's leading rusher at 21 yards. Say what? Once again, credit San Francisco. They're the better team. They had a game plan of we're taking away the run game, just like New Orleans did. I mean, the Saints said, we're going to take away your run game. You're only going to get 96 yards on the ground. We're going to force you to beat us through the air. San Francisco said, we'll see that and we'll raise you. The Saints only had 63 yards rushing. 63. And Andy Dalton was the leading rusher with 21. Alvin Kamara looked lost. Seven carries for 13 yards. He had the two fumbles. And they couldn't even do anything. Chris Olave made some catches. Shahid went out there. Once again, we can always count on him having one really great catch and then them not throwing him the ball the rest of the time. And sure enough, they did it again yesterday. Kamara had six catches for 37 yards. Woof. Bad offense. Bad run game. Bad play calling. Andy Dalton looked awful. This is a situation where you first glance at the stats, and if you hadn't watched the game or listened to the game, you'd be like, oh, that's not, you know, he threw for over 200 yards, right? 18 to 29. Those stats are deceiving because he didn't even look remotely close to being even that good. Will Lutz missed a field goal. Alvin Kamara had two fumbles. Andy Dalton looked like trash. Couldn't run the football. There it is. Finding ways. Finding new ways to lose ball games. Just unbelievable how bad this team is. I mean, honestly. Last four times the Saints have been shut out. The last time the Saints had been shut out in a ball game was 2002. Before yesterday, the last time the New Orleans Saints had been shut out was 2002. Actually, the last four times... The Saints have been shut out 1997, 1998, 2002, 2022. Would you like to know who the team was that shut them out every single time? The San Francisco 49ers. Every time. The Saints have been shut out the last four times, and it's only happened four times since 1997. It's been good old San Fran. The 49ers are like, hey, Saints, come on down. It's time for us to show you a good time and keep you out the end zone. 
I mean, does it get any worse? They're four and eight. Just got shut out for the first time since 2002. Oh, like, whew, what are you doing? And here's the other thing that stands out to me. With the exception of a few games this year, this team can't run the football. We haven't talked enough about this. They had a great day running the football against Seattle, 235 yards. Against the Bengals, a game they lost that they should have won, they rushed for 228 yards. Do you realize that they've now had less than 100 net rushing yards against the Panthers, the Cardinals, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Rams, and the 49ers? Six of their games, they failed to run the ball for more than 100 yards. I don't care who your quarterback is. I don't care if it's Andy Dalton or Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston or the reincarnation of Drew Brees. does not matter. If you can't run the football effectively, you're not going to win ball games. And we haven't talked enough about that. But that's a big reason why they're struggling so much because they have forgotten how to run the football. Two of the games they won, Seattle ran the football really well. The Raiders, they only ran for 136 yards, but at least they eclipsed 100 yards. Now, some of that is because they get put behind the eight ball and they have to play catch up. Absolutely, that's part of it. But the other part of it is that they're just not a very good team. Just not a very good team. Kamara had seven fumbles in his entire career heading into this season. He now has four through ten games this season. Four through ten games. And then we get told afterwards he won't even address the media because his attorney said not to do so. What? When do attorneys start coming in to say when and if the players can talk to the media? What? Because he had two lost fumbles? The Saints are an absolute mess. Woof. Got to take a timeout. We'll talk more about the Saints. We'll actually hear from New Orleans. That's coming up next right here on the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you.
let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. At the end of the day, we didn't make enough plays. and There was plays out there to be made, um, and, and we didn't make enough plays. And, look, you got to give them credit. I mean, obviously, they got a really good football team offensively, defensively in the kicking game. They made enough plays to win the game. But uh, I felt like there were some opportunities out, out there for us, um, and, and we didn't take advantage of them. Dennis Allen says there was plays out there they didn't take advantage of. Had opportunities, but didn't take advantage of them. You think? <laughs> the anger is already starting to to boil over in producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, who's covering up her mouth right now with her hoodie so she doesn't start yelling. Yeah, there, 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 uh, there were opportunities. Once again, defense played well enough to win the ball game despite the efforts of Chris Harris Jr., who seemed to be determined to make boneheaded, selfish mistakes that cost his team the game. But they were able to bottle up the run game of the 49ers. They held Jimmy G in check for the most part. Had a chance. Now, offense was dreadful. That we know. Offense was terrible. Will Lutz even missed a field goal. They couldn't run the football yet again. Alvin Kamara, two lost fumbles. It was just an absolute crap show. And Allen admitted afterwards, look, when you turn over the ball as much as the Saints have this season, and that's another problem of theirs, they're one of the worst teams in the NFL when it comes to turnovers. You can't win ball games. Yeah, yeah, frustrating, especially in a game like this. You know, you start the start the game off, and on the first drive, you put the ball on the ground, and um, you know you're you're down three nothing to you know a good team on the road, and um, and then obviously we had another one down there, you know, in 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 the red area uh, where we're down there on about the two yard line. So yeah, that's that's frustrating because you know we have some opportunities and and. Um, you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna beat a good team um, unless you make the plays that are there to be made. And 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 if you turn the football over, you're not gonna beat a good team. The Camara fumbles were brutal. I, the, the, the they just were. And you were just like, oh, because you had that that early drive that he was talking about, and you're like, they got a chance. And then. Fumble Ruski. Like, the worst possible time to have your worst game as a pro. And that's what Alvin Kamara did yesterday. Great player. He has not had a great season. Once again, four fumbles, lost fumbles on the year. He entered the season only having seven in his entire career. Just awful. And whether it was Kamara or Taysom Hill or what, what, whoever was back there, whatever schlub they pulled off the bench to try to run the football, it didn't matter. They couldn't run the football yet again. Once again, we talked about 
they've had six games this year, including yesterday, where they've been held to a hundred less than one hundred yards net rushing. And Allen talked about the fact that their offense couldn't run the football. Yeah, it was a struggle to run the ball against these guys, um, and and we knew going into it that they were a, a, a good, you know, run defense. Yeah, we, we, we tried to call the plays that we thought gave us an opportunity to score. Um, I felt like there was, you know, potentially a, a, a missed call down there on Jarvis Landry when we missed him in the end zone, uh, which would have been a big call in the in the end zone. Um, but yeah, certainly we had our opportunities down there in the in the in the red area and, and weren't able to capitalize. They're not good. I mean, look, we, we can talk about DA all day long, right? And and many of you want to, and many of you want them to change the head coach. Many of them feel like that's what's really holding this team back. When you watch this team play, I'll just ask this. Do they appear that they're one bad coach from being good? Or do they look like they're fundamentally, at their core, a bad football team? If you're honest with yourself, Saints fan, your team's not good. They're a bad football team. Bad head coach. Bad offensive coordinator, bad quarterbacks, can't run the football. Defense shows up some weeks, and next weeks it's vanished, undisciplined, makes mental mistakes, turns over the ball way too much. These are all characteristics of a bad team, and a bad team isn't one component. When a team is rotten like this team is, it's a multitude of reasons. It always has been that way in team sports. It always will be that way. When you see a team that's this bad in multiple things, it's just not the head coach. We can blame Dennis Allen. That's the easy thing to do. It's always easy to blame the head coach. Just like it's always easy to give the quarterback credit for the team winning the ball game, it's easy to blame the coach. Has Dennis Allen been a good coach this year? No. Has he been a competent coach this year? No. Has Pete Carmichael done his job? No. Has Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston done their jobs? No. Offensive line, run blocking? No. Defense consistently doing their job? No. Defense forcing turnovers? No. Will Lutz being consistent making field goals? No. Offense turning the ball over too much? Yes. This is one of the worst teams in the NFL. Period. They keep showing you, proving it over and over again. And look, what compounds everything is that they have calls that go against them. They do. The Alave catch that was ruled not a catch was atrocious. It was. But... You didn't lose the ball game because of the Alave catch being overturned and ruled not a catch. This is what DA had to say about the Chris Alave non-catch that occurred in yesterday's loss to the 49ers. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't. I don't know what a catch is in our league uh, anymore. Um, it's kind of changed 
multiple times. Um, you know, their 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 explanation to me was that he didn't survive the ground. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know what a catch is. And to be fair to DA, neither do I. They have molded it and changed it so much over the last ten years that what I used to believe what a, what a catch was in the NFL is no longer a catch. And look, bad calls go against the Saints. Absolutely. You know who gets bad calls called against them all the time? Bad teams. If you're a bad team, you're an undisciplined team, you're a team that turns over the ball too much, you don't execute your game plan, you get frustrated and do dumb things, you know what happens? Bad calls go against you. That's been the story of sports as well. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Doc, to the show. Doc, good morning to your brother. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, my friend. What's on your mind? Uh, I mean, two things. I think a lot of those issues, uh, I mean, if you're talking about a fundamental issue in terms of football players, I think most guys who are playing nowadays are adequate enough where they can play. If it comes down to fundamentals, hanging on to the ball, um, assignments, you know, playing smart, not making silly penalties, that comes down to coaching. And that's preparatory work that, again, goes back to the coaching staff, not doing the things that are necessary to get these guys, you know, well, let's not make field goals. Is he practicing regularly? Maybe he's doing it more. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, it's not the red area. I mean, the red zone, okay? It's like calling runs in baseball points. And uh, that, that alone just kind of just, I don't know. Doc, I, know it's a I don't disagree. Thing, Doc, I don't disagree. But this is the NFL. These are grown men. These aren't college yep. kids, okay? So you, 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 I understand that Dennis Allen has been on the struggle bus driving it for the entire season as a head coach. I totally get that, and I agree with you. Preparation comes down to coaching. But there has to be some accountability for the players because this is a veteran team. This is not a team. This is not the Detroit Lions where they're filled with a bunch of young guys that are trying to learn how to win. You have veteran guys that have Super Bowl appearances or Super Bowl rings that have hardware, that are supposed to be leaders, that are supposed to be holding the team accountable, and I'm still seeing dumb mistakes happen. I agree with you. DA needs to be held accountable, but those players, those are vets, Doc. These aren't college kids, and they're not doing their job either. No, no, they're not. And, I mean, it's not all, It's like you said, it's not all, uh, it's not all Dennis Allen, but I still think that, I mean, it, you know, going back a little bit further, it, it makes me wonder why all of a sudden Sean Payton decided to hang it up uh, if you saw the writing on the wall. But I, I still think that it, it comes down to, I mean, it, it's the same thing as, as trying to get Taysom Hill the ball a little bit more in some shape or form. It's, it's the same thing as trying to get uh, Rashad uh, the ball more. And, and just a lack of um, – the innovation. I mean, where's Camaro on the swing pass on the little, uh, you know, the swing pass is outside. Oh, yeah. You just don't see the calling. I think that would allow some of these players to do. Um, and, and I mean, I, I don't know. I even, even that pass that Dalton threw into the ground, it was, I know he got bumped, but God, that was bad. Oh man. It was, it was, it, it, it was off. And you're right. Look, and we've heard about this before, you know, what was about a month and a half ago where Sean Payton was interviewing Mark Ingram, and he said, you know, if, if that would have happened, you know, you know what would happen in practice afterwards. That's right. And, and so, yes, 
I don't I think there's a substitute teacher vibe going on with Dennis Allen where he was maybe the nice guy as the defensive coordinator and everyone respected him but as a whole he doesn't get after the guys he doesn't get in their face as much as Sean Payton would have right where Payton would have gotten into him and said okay what are you doing I don't think that's happening and also don't think that's happening with the offense with Pete Carmichael so look I agree I'm not what I am not a Dennis Allen apologist. Let's let's be clear here. But when you got guys like Demario Davis and Cam Jordan, and you got veteran guys like Jarvis Landry and, and, and others, you know what I'm saying? Like some internal leadership, right? And and where's it at? And and that's that, that's the other thing that that I I don't see with this team as well, brother. Appreciate the phone call. Enjoy your day, my friend. You as well. Yeah, and, and Doc's right here. There's some things that are fundamentally missing, but, oh, man, the play calling, the preparation is not there. He's exactly correct. There's no doubt there's missing. But where are the veteran guys stepping up to to take over? That's where you always lean on your vets to step up and be the voice in the locker room that sometimes maybe that coach isn't comfortable being when he takes over. Where are they at? Do you see them? Do you hear them? Because I don't. I don't. It's a lifeless team. An absolute lifeless team. Don't forget to go check out AcadianaDeals.com because you can get $40 in vouchers to buy you pop gourmet popcorn for only $20. That's right. $40 in vouchers to a local gourmet popcorn shop that has over 40 different flavors, more than just caramel, more than just cheese, more than just butter popcorn. You can get it all, and you can get it at half the price. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com today to get $40 in vouchers to buy you pop gourmet popcorn for only $20. we got to take a timeout. When we return, more bad football. Let's talk LSU. That's next. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. We've already talked about it, and we're we're pretty much, um, I would say, moving down the road already. Um, they know what happened tonight. Um, you know, they they understand our process um, and and what they need to do, and what maybe you know wasn't done, you know, to the level it needs to be done each and every week tonight. Um, but man, I'm so proud of what they've done. Um, it's just so hard. I mean, to do it each and every week in this league, and you know, we we ran into a team that um, played really well tonight at home, and um, we just we just didn't have what it what it took tonight for whatever reason. And um, we'll we'll learn from this. LSU head football coach Brian Kelly after. The LSU Tigers wrapped up the regular season falling short of getting to the 10-win plateau as they were stunningly, 
stunningly, not the more physical team. That's what it boiled down to. Watching the game in the press box that sways during the game. By the way, they even have a little note when you sit down. Don't be alarmed. The press box will sway. Say what? (laughs) And sure enough, it did. And I went, okay, this works, I guess. I was stunned for by a couple of things that happened in Saturday's game. One, the fact that Texas A&M's fans came out, about 93,000 of them, wasn't a sellout, but you could tell they were out. When we started walking up, my buddy and I that went to the game, shout out to Tony, I was like, ooh, like you walked up and you were like, "Uh uh-oh. The A&M fans were out. There was a bit of an energy in the crowd. It's a weird thing to say, but that's how it felt. And they were loud inside the stadium. And A&M had fight in them. Like the team did. Jimbo coached them up. In a season that's been anything but for the Aggies, which has been an absolute dumpster fire, and they have absolutely quit on Jimbo. That's how they played. With the exception of the Alabama game and then Saturday's game against LSU, A&M looked like a lost team with no direction. Guys already transferring out. But man, they looked like the more physical team. They won the point of attack. They had the energy. They wanted it more. That was the thing that point that the first thing that stood out to me. And the second thing is that they were the more physical team at point of attack. A&M's offensive line dominated LSU's defensive line. Absolutely dominated them in that game. When you have a running back go over for 200 yards and he's doing a lot of it by breaking tackles at the first level and the second level, that's domination. A&M came out and they were the more physical team. And Jimbo and his antiquated offense, which has looked absolutely dreadful, for a couple seasons now, they just said, you know what? We're going to be methodical. We're going to eat up clock. Their first three drives of the game, they all scored. Long drives. And LSU, for the most part, kept up with it. They did. They were sluggish. You could tell they were off. But... Man, A&M was the more physical team up front. And the other thing that stood out to me, they wanted it more, was number one. Number two was the fact that they were more physical at the point of attack. Number three was they converted their third downs, specifically there in the first half. They were masterful on their third down conversions. They made their first five. And Kelly talked about, the reason why A&M was able to convert on third down. <laughs> what was the reason? It's we didn't do our job. We were not very good at getting off the field, executing, um, bending people back. I mean, we were off today. This was not a team that you had normally seen during the year. And I can't give you a great answer. Um, we didn't make the plays that we normally make. We didn't have the same fire that we normally have. 
and, and that falls on my shoulders too. I got to get our team prepared and ready. And, and I, I obviously did not do a very good job. I love the fact that Kelly wants to be accountable here. He puts it on him. I didn't get our guys ready. And Thanksgiving week can be a difficult situation for a lot of teams. A lot of teams struggled this past weekend. See Clemson, Ohio State, Oregon, others. Teams that were also ranked in the top 10 in the college football rankings, by the way, the number two, number five, number eight, and number nine teams all lost. And we'll get to more about the craziness that is college football season. It is absolutely drunk this year. But this is what happens in a transitional year where you think you got the team figured out and Kelly probably felt, my guys got this. We've gone through the ups and downs of the season. They'll be prepared. They'll be ready to go, right? And he probably let his foot off the gas just a hair. And when a team is still trying to deal with winning football games again, you can't do that. And that's what it sounds like Kelly did because they they just probably took their foot off the gas just a little bit. And then they found themselves in a dogfight with a team that had nothing to lose. AM had nothing to lose. That gives them a distinct advantage. You're on the road, advantage AM. They have nothing to lose, advantage AM. But they also came out and wanted it more. And now you find yourself in a tight ball game. And in tight ball games, a few plays can change the outcome of the game. We could look at Kyron Lacey's drops. He had two massive ones in this ballgame, the former Raging Cajun wide receiver. Jane Daniels had no points, none. No rushing touchdowns, no passing touchdowns in this ballgame. But the game really turned when Daniels was trying to do too much, was about to take a sack, got stripped of the football, scoop and score, AM goes on top. LSU could never get the momentum back after that. It was all Aggies after that. The game turned on a dime, and Kelly talked about if his team was able to ever recover from that lost fumble by Daniels. I think there were some – yeah, I think you're right. I think there were some momentum swings there. Obviously, we came out in the second half. We got the, the quick stops, and we got the score. thought we got the thing back in order. And, you know, again, it was one of those things where, you know, you, you wish you could have, you know – done it all over again in terms of what happened in that situation but it is what it is the ball comes out it's a huge play that momentum swing I don't know that we ever really recovered from it you know quite frankly 27 yard scoop and score by Richardson after Cooper stripped Daniels and then AM just kind of you you kind of felt it I was sitting around a lot of veteran sports guys, a lot of veteran reporters that had covered this team, and they're like, oh, no. Like, you could just feel it in the stadium at Kyle Field where you went, not great. And AM just kept running the football. And then Wegman made good plays, that 21-yard touchdown pass that he threw to Moose Muhammad the third 
who hauled it in with a DB on him with one hand in the corner of the end zone, you're like, oh, man, that's kind of over. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you just kind of felt it. You're like, this is not going to be LSU's day. And what a disappointing end to the regular season for the Tigers. By the way, entering Saturday's contest, the most points A&M had scored against an FBS opponent was 28. I was against Ole Miss. The most points the team had scored all season was only 31 against Sam Houston. They scored 38 on Saturday. Tigers, though, have to dust themselves off. No time for a pity party because they've played themselves out of being in the college football playoff discussion, even with a win against Georgia. It's not going to happen. But now they got to try to get up and play against the Bulldogs, and we'll see if it happens. We're going to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one, unveil the poll question of the day. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Uh, If you're looking for great stocking stuffers for this holiday season, look no further than the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort as well. But you can only score these great stocking stuffers by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, so go sign up today. Poll question of the day. Which Louisiana team has the best chance of winning its conference title game? Is it Tulane versus UCF? Is it Southern versus Jackson State? Or is it LSU versus Georgia? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a timeout. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, what a weekend it was. Saints get shut out for the first time since 2002 at the hands of the 49ers who have been the opponent that has shut them out the past four times. It's what the 49ers do to the Saints. Hey, New Orleans, time to be shut out. You're welcome. That happened on Sunday, on Saturday, LSU Still a very good season for the Tigers. Far exceeds their expectations. I mean, if you would have told a Tiger fan before the start of the season, hey, here's the deal. Going to go 9-3. and three. You're going to beat Alabama and Florida and Auburn and Ole Miss. And you're going to win the SEC West and go play for an SEC championship. Every single Tiger fan would say, thank you. Yes, I'll take another. 
the season is still a success despite a disappointing and disheartening game Saturday night at Kyle Field where they fall woefully short and were just, well, they weren't the more physical ball team. That's what it boiled down to. A&M wanted it more. Jimbo outcoached Kelly. Got them better prepared. And they were more physical at the point of attack. And that Jane Daniels turnover was just brutal. But it wasn't all bad over the weekend. Yes, doom and gloom for LSU. Doom and gloom for the Saints. That's true. But hey, not all doom and gloom. Tulane won on the holiday weekend as well. They go on the road on Friday to beat Cincinnati. They are going to host the American Athletic Conference championship game. They ended one of the most long-standing streaks in college football when the Green Wave snapped a winless streak against ranked opponents, which is absolutely crazy. They had the longest streak in years of not beating a ranked opponent. We're talking like 20 years. (laughs) It was absolutely insane how long it had been since Tulane had defeated a ranked opponent. They snapped that skid. And turn around, and now they will host the American Athletic Conference Championship. And they will have a chance with a win this coming weekend. After ending the longest AP Top 25 drought in history. Just not Tulane history. No, 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 five names. Just not Tulane history. History. The Green Wave beat Cincinnati for their first ranked win since 1984. That's what they did on the road. They'll get another chance at a ranked opponent after losing 61 straight losses, the longest in the poll history. Tulane will face off against UCF. The winner, if Tulane wins, they're going to the Cotton Bowl. They're going to take the New Year's six bowl spot for the group of five so Tulane gets a win they're hosting a championship game down in New Orleans Bayou Classic was Saturday Southern shook off some rust early against Grambling and then routed their rival as the Jaguars easily defeated the Tigers to win the Bayou Classic and here's the thing for Southern with the win Not only do they have bragging rights inside the state of Louisiana, they win the Western Division title in the SWAC, and they're going to go to Jackson, Mississippi on Saturday to take on Deion Sanders-led Jackson State for the SWAC championship. 
So Tulane wins. Southern wins. And LSU still has a chance as well to win a conference championship, even though the odds are somewhat stacked against them. Once again, poll question of the day. Which Louisiana team has the best chance of winning its conference title game right now? 88% of you say Tulane versus UCF. 9% say Southern versus Jackson State. 3% say LSU versus Georgia. JPK, the OD, says, my brain says Tulane, but even after the AM letdown, I'm really pulling for LSU. It would be just like them to lay an egg against AM and then put <laughs> and then put something in Georgia's Christmas party punch bowl. Hashtag LSU agents of chaos. John Paul Cajun Daddy says Tulane did it once. Shouldn't have a problem doing it again. Ton says, Southern isn't beating JSU. LSU could possibly beat Georgia, but I doubt it. Roll wave. Tulane looks good and has the best shot of the three. Ralph on Twitter says, Tulane by a mile, provided they don't let Dennis Allen or Pete Carmichael near the facility. Really nice team. Great job by Coach Frisch. Wish him luck at Georgia Tech. That appears to be a done deal. Coach Willie Fretz. All reports are he's going to be taking the Georgia Tech job that is open. Hart on Twitter says, Green Wave all day. On another note, I didn't get any reviews on the crawfish bull turkey, so I'm kind of scared to ask. Hart, you're going to be taken care of, bud. Don't worry. We're going to take care of you. And Houdat Forever says, like a Dementor, the Saints and LSU just sucked all the happiness and joy out of me to the point where I just don't care. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will share them throughout today's show. Let's go out to the hotline. Welcome on Doug, who's been patiently waiting. Doug, I hope you had a tremendous Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Brother, what's on your mind, my friend? Well, I certainly did, Ray. Uh, I-, I wanted to talk about some LSU Tigers with you, Ray. By all means, bud. I- man, I, w- I was totally surprised at the way the, uh, the Tigers defense played. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they couldn't uh, seal the edges. Uh, they letting the A-train out on the edge was just a disaster. I mean, uh, missed tackles by the linebackers and uh, Ojolari, Wingo. It was just terrible. And letting the uh, A&M quarterback run up to the middle and on the side to get their first downs. It was, that was terrible. I, I couldn't believe it, man. I was telling my little brother, I said, well, Matt House is going to make adjustments. Yeah, he's good at that. You know, and then when it came out in the second half, and had those two, three announcers that, oh, okay, now we're going to get somewhere. But, and then Daniel, ah, Lee, man, he, he, trying to be a hero and ends up looking like a zero. You know, it was just terrible. That, that, it's another, cool. Doug, you, you know what Saturday was? I thought about this while, while I was there at Kyle Field was, it's another reminder that this is still a work in progress, right? Like, sure. that, 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 that's what stood out to me was go, you know, and I think maybe Kelly even thought, okay, we're kind of past this. We're, we're kind of past making sure that the guys are up for their opponent. And look, look, give credit to AM. They played inspired. They had a good game plan. The fans were into it. The guys were into it. But there's no reason why LSU should have lost that game, right? And I think that's yeah. the frustrating part for a Tiger fan is the better team did not win that game. But once again, Teaching these guys how to win week in, week out. That's the biggest challenge. And the big challenge for Kelly now is, look, we expect Georgia to beat them in Atlanta on Saturday. 
that'll be back-to-back losses for the Tigers. That'll be the first time that's happened all season. Right. Then how do you get ready and get geared up for a bowl game that is going to be less than what you expected? They were going to go to the Sugar Bowl. Now they're not going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl game. That'll that'll go to Alabama and Tennessee. So they'll have to go down to probably the Citrus Bowl or the Gator Bowl, right? So that's where more than likely LSU is going to be headed. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking the Citrus, maybe against Notre Dame or Penn State. They, they they could they could they could put them in that matchup. Now the only thing for LSU is South Carolina looks very very like a team that you would want to put into the Citrus Bowl if you're the Citrus Bowl uh, because of what South Carolina has done the last back to back weeks. But I think they're going to be in the mix for one of those two. But that'll be Kelly's biggest thing is that you'll have the extra practices, right? The extra 15 days of practices to gear up. Can the team end yeah. the season on a high note and build momentum into the offseason? That'll be the big challenge for him after this Saturday. Now the Tigers can throw a wrench in, in, in the spokes, Ray. If they beat Georgia, that would certainly certainly mess things up for the playoffs. But I'm, I'm pulling for my Tigers, and they had a great season. I'm proud of them. Uh, let, let's Go ahead and finish this up, and, and then we can start working on next year. There you go, Thanks brother. Thanks for taking my call, Ray. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Enjoy your day, bud. Yeah. Look, 9-3, and three, once again, if you would have told any Tiger fan before the start of the season, you're going to go 9-3, and three, win the West, beat Alabama, beat Ole Miss, beat Auburn, beat Florida. Would you take it? And they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sign me up now. But once again, this is still a team. It's a, it's the first year. It's always a transitional year. We had some people say, hey, watch out. This feels like a trap game. I thought they would be better prepared. I think I was more, I, I think I was more surprised that A&M got up for the game then LSU played down to their opponent, if that makes any sense. Because if you watched AM play football the last month, you went, uh, what? But credit Jimbo, he got his team to play up for Alabama and for LSU. Nearly beat one, did beat the other. Didn't get him up for anything else, but he got him up for that. And for the Tigers, looks like probably... I think it's going to come down between LSU and South Carolina for the Citrus Bowl. And it's going to be really how that's going to play out. It may have to depend on how LSU looks in the game against Georgia on Saturday. Because if they just get worked, they just get waxed by UGA, they may be headed to the Gator Bowl because then they're a four-loss team just like South Carolina's a four-loss team. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk about a team that did win its game over the weekend, got to bowl eligibility, and now is going to have a chance to you know, get that extra win, get above 500 in the season with a victory, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. That'll be next. We'll hear from Coach Dez coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in the World Series champion Houston Astros. 
RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game wants to stuff your stocking with a $500 Visa gift card. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes presented by Almertal Jewelers. Simply enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score a $500 Visa gift card. That's right, $500 Visa gift card. It's that easy. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes powered by Almertal Jewelers and the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Louisiana Raging Cajuns go on the road and, well, let's be honest, easily, easily took out Texas State Bobcats, so much so that Texas State fired its coach yesterday. Jake, four years of underperforming was enough for that to happen. <laughs> kind of expected. Texas State's been one of those programs that we talk about at – Sunbelt Media Days, this is the year they're going to break through. This is the year they're going to kind of push through and, and be a factor, and it's just never happened. And reports are that, you know, recruiting and not being able to recruit inside the state of Texas, despite where they're at, there should be an easy, easy for them to get good recruits at a Sunbelt school in the state of Texas. Just hasn't worked out. Just has never been able to kind of get it together there Cajuns needed a win though I mean this is less about Texas State and more about UL had to get a win on Saturday to get to six wins we know the Independence Bowl covets the Cajuns to come up there to play in their bowl game at Independence Stadium in Shreveport but they had to get the job done. And it's been an up and down season for the Raging Cajuns. But they go into San Marcos and win 41 to 13. Now, Texas State opened up the game with a field goal to take an early lead, but it was all Louisiana Raging Cajuns after that. Cajuns averaged 6.7 yards per play in the ball game. Offensively. They were humming Chandler Fields, did a nice job passing for 187 yards on 16 to 26 passing while also rushing for 28 yards. He threw two touchdowns as well. But man, they were aggressive. They went out there and they executed. And Coach Dez talked about how that aggressiveness paid off in a big way for them Saturday in San Marcos. You know, I tell our kids all the time, you know, we go into the games to win the games. We're not playing not to lose. Um, we're not going to play with hesitation. Um, and tonight, you know, we were going to be aggressive. Uh, you know, we went down there, got down in to the inside the five-yard line, went for it on fourth down. We didn't get it. Well, you know, we'll put our defense out there and let them go play. And, um, 
you know, we took a couple shots. You know, they covered them pretty well, but we're going to call them. We're going to make people cover them. And it loosens everything up in the run game. And we were able to <clears throat> run and throw the ball effectively. So, um, you know, really pleased with our coaching staff and game plan. I thought on offense, um, you know, those guys did a really good job putting it together. Um, defensively, we got some big plays, you know, some momentum plays that we needed. Um, <coughs> you know, certainly there's some things that we've got to work on, some of these run fits and, and the edge runs and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it's always, it's always better to be able to work on that after you get a win. They get the win, and not only were they able to run the football effectively, you know, Chandler Fields, once again, he started the season as a starter, had some trouble, had some struggles, got injured. They put in Ben Woolridge. Ben gave them a boost in the middle of the season when they needed it. Then Ben gets hurt, so they have to turn right back to Chandler. And you know what? After struggling on the road against Florida State, he did have a couple of touchdown drives there late in the fourth quarter in Tallahassee, remember? And we talked about could they build on that and have that momentum heading into the following week, and sure enough, they did, and Chandler looked far better to start off the game, and Des talked about what Chandler was able to do Saturday. You know, Chandler's a really good athlete. Um, he runs really well, and he's got a great arm, um, but I think Chandler's, like most quarterbacks, I was kind of the same way. I had to kind of get in a little bit of a rhythm, and uh, we tried to run him early as well. That's, when, that's his comfort level, too, is, is running a little bit, kind of getting hit. The first play of the game was actually a, a read. Um, that just ended up being a give. But, you know, we were just trying to get him going a little bit, especially after last week. You know, I was really pleased with the way he finished the game last week. Um, and I just wanted to try to help get him a little confidence. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's the normal pass game stuff we do, you know, naked's quick game, you know, some shots and mixing a little drop back in there in certain situations. And Chandler handled it really well. You know, I mean, aside from the interception where he, you know, he didn't see the backside safety, I mean, and really, you know, you put the ball out there, you try to give your guy a chance. I mean, you can live with those. So I, I thought he played really well. I thought he played well as well. Yeah, he, he didn't see the safety as Dez kind of broke it down. He's breaking it down from not only a head coach, but from a former quarterback's perspective. He, he saw exactly what happened there. Getting fields to get his confidence helps. They get to six wins. They become bowl eligible. Now, they may have some options here. We know the Independence Bowl wants them. But some other bowls may want them as well. I've seen bowl projections go all over the place. New Orleans Bowl to the bowl game in Mobile to the Independence Bowl. And, you know, we'll find out on Sunday. Championship weekend will be Friday and Saturday and then We'll find out college football playoffs and all the bowl games will be announced on Sunday. Now, we may find out about the Raging Cajuns before then because this week, a lot of those bowl games, if their teams, if they're not dependent on a team still playing and they're not in a mix from one of those teams that are playing for conference championships, they'll go ahead and make their announcement. They're like, hey, we're going to take so-and-so. And we'll we'll have that this week leading up to Sunday. So some of those lower tier bowl games will make their decision. So we may find out about the Raging Cajuns earlier than expected, which would be good because then, you know, we could make our plans. <laughs> you know, but one thing, not to nitpick, but one thing that stood out to me about this ball game was Chandler Fields played well. The Cajuns themselves were able to run the ball very effectively. But Texas State, man, 
they ran the ball for 223 yards on the ground. They averaged six yards a pop. You know, and th- that that's a negative. Now, obviously, Texas State's offense is one dimensional, but you know that's something that you kind of you step back and you went uh, struggling against the run. The Cajuns' defense was, and, and Des talked about Texas State's ability to be able to run the football effectively. Yeah, it, you know, we didn't win any one-on-ones. You know, we were getting swallowed up one-on-one. Um, I don't think we played with great pad level. Um, I felt like we didn't use our hands very well, and um, the edge of the defense. You know, we were trying to spill things and. Uh, created a short edge and we weren't getting over the top we're getting blocked up at the second level as well so you know we're gonna have to uh, go back and look at it because certainly anybody that you play next they're gonna look at these gap schemes and these things that they do and they're gonna they're gonna run them you know so um you know it's it's one of those deals you go in there with the game plan feeling good about it and then it it ends up not working the way you want it to um you try to make some adjustments at halftime and then certainly play better in the second half but you know they still they still had their share in the first in the second half and uh you know, it's things that we got to get cleaned up for sure. Um, we pride ourselves on stopping the run, so we got to do that better. Yeah, I look, uh, it, it was all the Lincoln Pair kid, right? They had 223 yards on the ground, and 220 of them, 221 of them were from him. <laughs> so, yeah, it, look, Zion Hill, Green, Andre Jones, those guys, Cam, and those guys in the front seven—they're not happy they gave up a 221-yard rushing performance. They're not. But they'll have another game to kind to of just to that and work on that and get better at that. And hopefully we'll find out what that bowl game destination will be. Could be Independence Bowl in Shreveport. Could be New Orleans Bowl. Could be the bowl over in Mobile. We'll find out sooner than later. We got to take a timeout. When we return, though, here on RP3 and Company, our first guest of today and the first guest of the week, Jeff Palermo, co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, will join us to talk all things LSU. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. What a weekend. Things upside down, topsy-turvy in college football. Number three absolutely thrashes number two as Michigan destroyed Ohio State in the second half. What a performance that was by the Wolverines. Big Blue probably deserves to be in the conversation of being ranked number one in the college football playoff rankings that come out tomorrow. They'll probably still go with Georgia. But you can make an argument for Michigan. Number five also loses, of course, LSU, but so did number eight. So did number nine, Clemson and Oregon. Topsy-turvy weekend in college football, for absolutely sure. But nothing, and I say nothing, 
was more topsy-turvy than what happened at the Parch compound over the holiday weekend. And that was the magical Santa elves have returned. Elf on the Shelf is back in the Parch household. And this year, not one but two elves. Not one but two elves. A girl elf and a boy elf. And they're causing shenanigans. And uh, so much so that our daughter, Hattie, has her eyes on them constantly. She believes they're up to no good. She believes that shenanigans are ensuing with the girl elf and the boy elf. Why are they here? Why is there two of them? I had to explain to her that Santa sent another extra elf to keep another set of eyes on her, making sure that she was a good girl. And she was like, well, Dad, I've been a good girl. I said, are you sure? <laughs> no, she's been great. I'm saying, that's what my daughter cared more about is the status of the elves on the shelves. She did not care as much about the college football shenanigans over the weekend. Just saying, I'd like to point that out. Now, someone who did care about the shenanigans over the weekend, a topsy-turvy rivalry weekend, is our first guest. He, of course, is the co-host of Tiger Ag Radio. Our good friend Jeff Palermo joins us. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well, Raymond. How about yourself? <clears throat> I'm doing great, bud. It was my first time at Kyle Field. I was not prepared for the swaying of the press box, so that oh, was yeah? interesting. <laughs> I sit down at my seat and they give me a little piece of paper and it's already waiting for me. It says, do not be alarmed by the press box swaying. And I was like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> I was like, okay. <clears throat> I was also not prepared for Texas A&M to be the more physical team at the point of attack. Obviously disappointing loss by LSU on the road to A&M on Saturday what was the thing that stood out the most to you about that ball game? I just think how um, LSU got beat at the point of the attack, both on the offensive and defensive lines, and especially as how bad the offensive line played in that game. I mean, it just seemed like every time Jaden Daniels looked back to pass, um, there was a uh, <laughs> you know, there was a Texas A&M defender right there in the in Jaden Daniels' face and. Been really able to establish the run game very much. Uh, I mean, I think that was one of the one of the poorest efforts by LSU's offensive line in a while. Again, you know, just no. And, and then again, you know, as far as the passing game, Kayshawn Booty not really much of a factor. Uh, and you know, defensively, they just they they didn't bring their edge that they've had for much of the season. Um, and I think that's what Coach Brian Kelly was talking about in that SEC teleconference. He kept talking about or using the word traits. You know, he talked about how talented his team can be, but there's certain traits that they have, and they just didn't have that that edge that they've had on the football field. Um, it really did look like a team that had uh, taken a deep breath, taken the foot off the gas, and was – certainly peeking ahead to the SEC championship game this week. And and I, I said it earlier, Jeff, it's a good reminder that this is still a team learning how to handle all of this, right? I, it, it's a team where I felt maybe like Brian Kelly thought, okay, my guys are kind of past this, and they weren't. They, they just 
you're still learning how to deal with success. You're still learning how to win week in and week out. And and you faced a team that had nothing to lose. And I was also surprised by how much they got up for that game because AM has looked lifeless since the Alabama game. They've looked disinterested. They've had guys enter the transfer portal. They've had fans not show up for games. And their fans showed up, and that team showed up. And I was kind of surprised how much fight A&M actually had still left in them on Saturday. Well, I mean, LSU could have taken that fight away from them with a fast start. But, again, this team is not really programmed to do that for whatever reason. It's true. And you kind of, you kind of felt like, okay, you know, LSU's been more of a second-half team. And I really think the momentum was starting to go in LSU's favor, and then you had Jaden Daniels fumble, and he had the scoop and score. And I think that was a, just a demoralizing play for LSU, and it really gave Texas A&M a lot of energy, and they ended up finishing off the job at that point. So um, I, I'm not surprised. I, I thought uh, A&M was going to come out with a lot of with some juice. This this was the last game of the year. Um, Certain guys are, are going to go out there and perform. Uh, they're going to play well. You know, you got a you got a freshman quarterback who's certainly trying to stake his claim to be the starting quarterback for Texas A&M. You know, there, there, there are certain things that guys are that a majority of the guys on that team are playing for, um, and maybe even guys that are looking at the transfer portal at the end of the season. They certainly wanted to put a good performance on tape, so. Um, I had a feeling Texas A&M was going to come out with some energy, but it was going to be up to LSU to withstand the waves and eventually just kind of take control of this game. And I thought that's what was occurring until that fumble by Jaden Daniels. And then it just um, it, uh, it was too much of an uphill climb for LSU after that point. It, you're right, because, look, we, we've seen them start slow and come back in the second half. They did so against Mississippi State. Auburn they pulled away from Florida in, in that game as well so we we've seen them we've seen that movie before right and I agree with you it felt like they were taking control of the ball game and then Daniels tries to do too much in the scoop and score and you could just feel it in the stadium Jeff you could just you're like uh-oh they're in trouble like you, you could just feel it that yeah. because that sucked everything out of them and then you know look Chiron Lacey had a, some bad drops right in this game and they yeah. just couldn't get going and then things kind of went away from them uh, my question to you is how do you dust yourself off because now you get to face a team that is far superior than Texas A&M and that's the Georgia Bulldogs the defending national champs the undefeated defending national champs it's going to be in Atlanta you'd probably feel a lot better about their chances if they had won that game at A&M and had some more momentum heading into Atlanta. But now they have to dust themselves off and take down Kirby Smart's team. Not saying that the Bulldogs are perfect because they're not. Their record is, but they're not. They're vulnerable. We, we've seen them play down to competition this year. Uh, how do you get them back up and geared up for that game? Well, I, I think you rely on your experiences from earlier this season. I mean, you had a disappointing loss against Florida State. You bounced back from that. Um, I know they beat Southern the next week, but they, they went ahead and had, had a really quality win two weeks after that against Mississippi State. 
you get crushed on your home field on, on October 8th against Tennessee and you, you bounce back and you get a big win on the road at Florida and then you come back home and you take care of business against Ole Miss and you beat Alabama and so forth. So this is a team that has bounced back before after you know some really tough losses. Uh, the problem is this time for LSU is the opponent. The, the opponent is just that good. Yeah, I don't know if this uh, Georgia team is as dominant as the team that won the national championship last year. But um, there, I mean, I mean, there is a chance that LSU could still pull this thing off. But uh, the Bulldogs are, are are a really good team, and yeah, LSU could have a really good bounce back performance on Saturday and, and still come up on the losing end. We're talking with Jeff Palermo of the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. If I would have told you when we spoke before the start of the season that this LSU team would go 9-3, and three, win the West, beat Bama, beat Ole Miss, beat Auburn, beat Florida, you would be you would tell me what? The fact that they, win the, they, they won the SEC West, I mean, to me, that's a, a very successful season. Uh, the foundation has been, has been laid uh, here that, uh, you know, obviously Brian Kelly can coach. He can develop guys. Uh, they've shown uh, that they can go out and recruit as well. Uh, they still need to obviously, you know, cross the finish line on really this first full recruiting class for Coach Brian Kelly. But, you know, things are looking really good there. I mean, I, I would say this is a, a very successful season. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a uh, disappointing beginning, uh, losing the way you did to Florida State, uh, disappointing end there, obviously losing to – to uh, Texas A&M, and, and you, you hit a, a big um, bump in the road when you play Tennessee early on in the season. But I, I, I think you, from where the program was in January to where it's at now, um, it's it's remarkably improved. So, it, to me, it's a successful season. Um, I, I think the key here now is to really put on a good showing in the SEC championship game win that bowl game, get that 10th win. I think that's, I think that's really a, a significant thing here. You, you just would hate to finish off this year with a, with a nine and five record. I mean, that doesn't, I mean, 10 and four really does sound so much better than, than nine and five. So I think that's the thing that uh, this team needs to focus in on. And I think whoever they play in a bowl game, you know, most likely at this point, uh, you know, it's, for argument's sake, they lose to Georgia. They'll probably play a team, you know, like Purdue or something like that, out of the Big Ten. It's a team that LSU should be able to handle. So, um, I, I think finishing here strong, and I know it was disappointing, uh, no doubt about it. it uh, but man, the, the program's made great strides, and when you think of it, Raymond, especially once they expand this thing to twelve games or 12 teams as far as the college football playoffs, LSU is going to be in the picture every single season, I think, with Brian Kelly in there. And I think they're going to make multiple playoff performances. And I still think they're, they got the right coach uh, to, to win a national championship. Um, yeah, that was, this was dis- disappointing. Uh, you could say, to, if you want to say the coaches got you know, outcoached and Brian Kelly didn't have the team, you want to put the blame on him, okay, that's fine. Like the players need to take a, some accountability in this as well. 
so it's not completely on him, but he's brought, I think, this program farther than most people would have ever thought in just one season. What'd you make of the absolute chaos that was this college football weekend where number two gets housed by number three, number five loses, number eight loses, number nine loses? Well, if there was ever a year for a 12-team playoff, I think this would have been it because I I think you could you would have had some surprises in there. I think uh I think there's I, I think there's a little more parity in college football especially at the top than there has been in the past. Um I'm not expecting chaos though this weekend, Raymond. I I don't I'm not expecting that um you know some crazy things are going to happen. You know, Purdue beating Michigan, LSU beating Georgia. I think it's going to go fairly chalk this weekend. And I think uh, the four teams that we're all thinking that are going to be in the college football playoff at this moment, that of course being, um, you know, USC, Michigan, uh, Georgia, and um, TCU. Uh, TCU. I think the, the, those four teams are, are going to be your college football playoff. Those are going to be your four teams heading into the college football playoff. But it, it's been fun. It's been a great season. Uh, it's sad that uh, this is kind of done, right? You know, that you had all this action. For, you know, it starts at 11 a.m. And if you uh, stayed up to watch Washington, Washington State, all the way through Saturday night, I mean, it's just uh, drama and storylines developing left and right. And um, it's fun when, when a college football season delivers like this. And really, I think the last two years, have done that because prior to this, it really was getting stale with Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, and Ohio State every year. Those were your four teams, and you know not, now this season you're gonna you got USC back in the mix. You got a team like TCU in there. Uh, Michigan has shown that last year was not just a a one year thing for Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. That uh, maybe they now are the dominant program in the Big Ten. So it's it's fun to see uh, a little bit of turnover and, uh, and, and of course, the unpredictability that you get uh, a lot on these uh, Saturdays in the fall. And the way it's set up, it, it's going to save us from having to deal with having the committee pick between Ohio State and Alabama on who gets into the college football playoff because they'll be on the outside looking in if TCU beats Kansas State and if USC beats Utah. I like their chances, and I think I agree with you. I think that's their, that's going to be our four, right? It's going to be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and it's going to be USC. But, man, if one of those teams slips up, oh, oh, oh Jeff. <laughs> it, it'll be very interesting. Oh, I, I'll go with this, though. I think uh, – I, I know I know you got kids in school, Raymond, and I know they deal with the common core math. But yes. to me <laughs> – Yes. Yes. No. No. They don't. Jeff. They don't deal with the Common Core math for Alabama. That's more than Ohio State, and I I think uh, Ohio State would get in. I I would think, and I I would I would think that tonight uh, Tuesday night will be interesting to see who is that number five team. Um, I I agree with you. It it should be Ohio State, though. Uh, The argument against it is going to be. Yes, I agree with you. I'd put a one-loss team above a two-loss team. You and I are on the same page here. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you how that committee's going to look at that. They're going to say, yeah. well, Alabama's they only had like three points in their two losses total, and Ohio right. State got drubbed by more than 20. And that's how that's going to go. 
And I just, I, I'm really, as a guy that would love to see some more parity, right? I, I, I'm, I'm really looking for TCU and USC just to punch their tickets and have us have to avoid all that nonsense. <laughs> That's what I'm really yeah, hoping yeah, for. No, it, 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 it's, it's a good debate, and I can understand that. You could easily sit there and you could take a look at Alabama and say, well, they lost twice basically on, on, last, last, on the last play of the game. And you kind of go back to 2007 when LSU got into the BCS National Championship game and the thing that you you always talked about, well, LSU never lost a game in regulation even though they had two losses. You know, their, their two yep. losses came in, a, in triple overtime. I remember. Uh, I remember. But, and, and, and your thing about Common Core, bud, I got to let you go because I'm up against the timeout. Uh, the, my, my daughter deals with it very fine. I struggle with understanding it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the problem. That's the problem. Bud, appreciate your time. Enjoy uh, your week. Enjoy Tiger Ag Radio, bud, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Hey, one final thought. Ohio State has a better win on their resume than Alabama. Ohio State beat Penn State. a 10-win Penn State yep. team. W- w- where's Alabama's big win? W- where is it? Oh, it's is it's it nowhere. Texas? It's nowhere. Once again, you and I are in agreement, but that committee yeah. does not view things like you and I do, bud. I'm just letting you know. They just don't. I got you. They just I don't. Got you. Enjoy your week, brother. All right, man. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. We got to take a timeout. Good stuff there with Jeff. We'll wrap up hour number two. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Some breaking news from Andy Katz. ESPN is going to announce today that the Big 12 ACC Men's Basketball Challenge is going to end this week after 23 years. And the Big 12 SEC Challenge will conclude in January after a 10-year run. A new ACC-SEC Challenge for both men and women will start the week after Thanksgiving in 2023. So that's kind of interesting. Poll question of the day. Which Louisiana team has the best chance of winning its conference title game? Is it Tulane versus UCF? Is it Southern versus Jackson State? Or is it LSU versus Georgia? Right now, 85% of you say Tulane. Keep those votes coming and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Corey Diaz talking Raging Cajuns. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It wasn't all dire this weekend for the teams that you love, right? Yes, the Saints losing 13 to nothing because their offense is inept and the team itself is, well, let's be honest, one of the worst in the NFL. Losing to the 49ers, being shut out for the first time since 2002. That's a bummer. And if you're an LSU fan, despite the fact that your team finished the regular season 9-3, and three, losing in the fashion that you did against a piss poor Texas A&M team that's a bummer I get it but you know what wasn't a bummer over the weekend 
the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Went to lovely San Marcos, Texas. You know, they have a great outlet mall. It's on their website for the city. They promote themselves as an outlet mall location. Despite that, Coach Dez's team marches into San Marcos, easily gets a victory. Chandler Fields plays pretty well. They struggled to stop the run, but it didn't impact the game as they get, more importantly, win number six, bowl eligibility, which means they got an extra game, extra practices, and everything that comes along with that. To break it all down for us is the man who covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser, our good friend Corey Diaz. Corey, good morning. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, bud. How you doing? Yeah, man. Hope your holiday was well, too. Uh, doing well this morning. Uh, how are you guys? Hope everything's going good. It is a gravy train on biscuit wheels, my friend, over here, just to let you know. Old, old Bisquick train, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, what stood out to you in Saturday's game? It ended up being a lopsided affair, but what really stood out to you about how the Cajuns performed against the Bobcats? RP3, I'll tell you, you know, my, you know, my biggest thing was, um, you know, because there have been a couple of instances you know, earlier this season, um, I, I felt like where, you know, this team really needed to get something going, needed to find a spark, you know, especially on the offensive side. And, you know, there had been stretches where, you know, you would have liked to have seen um, maybe a little bit better play calling, maybe some maybe some plays that got their best guys in, in spots to, to make good plays. Um, but you just didn't quite see that. I thought Saturday night, with with basically you know and I hate the cliche of you know their backs against the wall you know it look they just had to win right they had to get that win to get the sixth one so they could get a bowl game I I I, I commend Michael Desmond man I thought he called a really really good game offensively I thought the I thought the proper amount of aggression was there in the play calling and I think and I think the players responded to that right I th- I think earlier in the year you know again when I mentioned those instances of well, I think we needed to see more aggression offensively and we didn't see it. I think the players this Saturday at Texas State, I think they really responded to the aggressive play calling, you know, going for it on fourth down right there, you know, at the beginning of the game, you know, on the two-yard line. And I know you didn't get it, but I think that kind of sent – I think Dez sent the message to his, to his guys, and I think the guys said, okay, we got your back. Like, let's go. Let's go. Let's don't play to try not to lose this game. Let's, let's play to win it. Um, so to me, man, that that was the main thing that, that I took away from Saturday is I thought that, you know, in the obviously with the highest of stakes, uh, I thought we saw the right level of aggression offensively uh, from Dez, the play caller, and as well as, uh, you know, Chandler Fields, the quarterback, and, and everyone else offensively. I, I thought it was it was what they needed to do, uh, not only to get that sixth win, but, you know, as we've, as we've talked with others, you know, a couple weeks, you know, you, you wanted to, to – to put a, a positive stamp on this season, you know, as much of a roller coaster it has been, and uh, you, and you needed to play with with that proper level of aggression, and I think that's what we saw. Chandler Fields, you know, he had the one interception. That's because Des even broke it down for us afterwards, right? Because he didn't see the safety lurking back there. He he kind of broke it down as a former quarterback would, but. In spite of that, he had a, a pretty good game. How would you evaluate? his performance and how do you think he's going to be ready to go for a bowl game yeah i thought um 
you know, I thought Chandler was steady, you know. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you with a guy in his situation, right, where, you know, he was in a, uh, a hotly contested position battle during the preseason, he ultimately wins the job, and, and uh, you basically give him the keys. And, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, right, he loses his job because, he gets hurt, and the guy behind him ends up coming in and playing really well, and and earns himself, you know, the job. And, and so it's it's a, you know, it's a situation that you know Chandler kind of talked about uh, Saturday night after the game too, right? You know, it was you know it was hard for him, um, you know, mentally, right, to um, you know go from being the starter to having to, uh, you know, obviously stay ready and practice like the starter, but knowing you weren't going to be out there uh, starting these games and. Um, you know, it was kind of like he mentioned, you know, he, he mentioned it was a get back moment for him. You know, it was, I think it was, I think Saturday night was, was probably more validation uh, for Chandler Fields uh, maybe than anyone else on the entire team. Uh, I think he needed a game like that. I think he needed a performance where he was really steady. Uh, you know, obviously took a couple of shots downfield, obviously, um, you know, through the interception on one of those um um, not the not the best of decisions, but you know, I mean, you have to take those shots in games like that, and sometimes you you know come out on the on the bad end of it. But you know, uh, I think 16 of 26, I believe, was his completion percentage, and and not quite 200 yards passing. I mean, just a really steady performance, and and I think with obviously with you know, depending on when their bowl game is, right? Um, you know, if you get as many as 15 practices, I mean. I think I think it's probably a situation where he can feel like he's got more solid footing under him and probably would be more willing to um take a few more risks and, and be a little more uh, you know, be a little more uh, aggressive as as we said this morning already. Um but I think I think he looked good, man. I think it was the performance, you know, again, not only he needed himself but you know, I think as the game went on, I think Des um I think Des really saw that that Chandler was 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 really steady, and I think he called it that way too. So, um, all in all, man, I think I think it was good. It was what they needed. You know, the aggressive play calling, which I like from Des, and and just kind of that that mindset to have a little bit of edge uh, about this team and about their offense. How much does that come from, or how much are they allowed to be that way, Corey? Because they have a healthy offensive line. Because it seems to me. When this offensive line has their guys out there and they've been healthy, they play at a different level. And we saw that against Georgia Southern and we saw that again against Texas State. I mean, how much does it really boil down to the fact that the big horses up front are good to go? Yeah, I think that obviously plays a big part, right? Um, you know, obviously Carlos Rubio, you know, didn't play in Tallahassee, uh, you know, the weekend before. And um, I know he came out of the game against Georgia Southern. Um, but, you know, they, those I mean, those are your guys. You know, Jack Harrington, I think, missed, um, you know, some of the Georgia Southern game as well. I mean, those are your guys that have been, you know, they have been the starters, you know, especially on that right side of, of the offensive line for, you know, for a better part of the, you know, middle portion of the season. And I think that's where – you know, if we go back and kind of break down all 12 games, I think, you know, the middle of the season was kind of where Louisiana was playing its best football. And to your point, RP3, I think a lot of that had to do with the the uh, the health and just the, the continuation of the cohesion and the chemistry that you have along the offensive line. And, you know, and I, and I did a, I think I did a radio spot Friday uh, before the game this past Saturday. And, you know, I, I was asked about, 
you know, the rushing for what, what Louisiana's going to have to do running the ball against Texas State, who had a, for all intents and purposes, had a really good rush defense, only allowing, like, I think, like 93 yards per game or something, which is a tremendous mark. Um, I said, well, that's probably where they need to be. You know, if they can somewhere, they can find 90, 95, 100 yards rushing, they'll probably be in a really good chance to win this game. And I think they ended up rushing for like 160 something. And, um, you know, and for, uh, to go against a defense like Texas State, where, you know, they're really, really built to stop the run, they're really got some really good front seven guys. Um, you know, if you're running the ball that well against a really good defense like that, that means your offensive line is performing really well. So, yeah, you have you have to give a lot of credit to those guys. I think they probably had one of their better performances of the entire year, and they did it when they absolutely needed to. We're talking with Corey Diaz. He covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, they get to six. They're going to a bowl game. It looked like the I-Bowl, Independence Bowl, was going to be their destination. A lot of people had linked them to that bowl game. I-Bowl representatives were there for the Georgia Southern game. But the latest bowl projections by some folks have the Cajuns all over the place. Some still have them going to Shreveport. Others have them going to New Orleans. Some say Mobile. Where do you think the Cajuns end up in the pecking order for a bowl game? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, that's why I asked well, him, bud. That's why I asked him. <laughs> Man, listen, the, the day that you don't ask good questions, I guess, is the, the, will be my last day coming on your show. What can I say? There so. it is. There it is. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, obviously, you know, you're going to get – look, they're obviously going to fall behind, you know, uh, Roy, Coastal, you know, uh, the teams that are obviously going to be playing for the championship. Um, you know, th- so they'll be, they'll be behind those guys in the pecking order of, of where they'll end up, you know, this bowl season. Um, look, I mean, we, we've seen um, – you know, we've seen the Independence Bowl, you know, uh, lurk, lurking around this football team for a few weeks now, um, for all intents and purposes. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to end up in Shreveport um, for, for bowl season. You know, um, you know, Army could still apply for an exemption, uh, potentially get that spot. And if they do, then that would, that would lead uh, the Cajuns elsewhere um, for bowl season because Army would, I think, end up matching up with a with an American team, I believe, this year. So um so if Army applies to that exemption, then they're not gonna they're not gonna be in Shreveport. Uh if they're not in Shreveport, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean I, I could see the lending tree in Mobile being a landing spot. Um, you know, Camellia Bowl, maybe even in Montgomery against like a Mac team, that potentially could be a landing because you're gonna end up running out of because the Sun Belt only has four primary tie ins and there's six uh six bowl eligible teams in the Sun Belt. Um, so you're going to have to kind of go to those secondary uh, agreement spots, um, and that potentially could be one of those spots where um, you know Louisiana could end up. It could end up in the Birmingham Bowl if, if weird things shake out, you know, because Missouri got uh, bowl eligible this weekend with this win over Arkansas. So it, there's there's just so many dominoes this time of year, man. It, it, it's so wild. I mean, USC making the playoff, weirdly enough, I think affects where Louisiana could end up playing in a bowl game. You know, it's like it's just weird stuff like that. So um, so we'll see, man. Uh, it could be – I think there's probably four four or five places that, that the Cajuns could end up. I mean, they could end up in Tampa. That's a Gasparilla Bowl, too. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> well, the Gasparilla we'll Bowl. Better, uh, much better idea, I think, after championship Saturday, this Saturday, and obviously Sunday morning, um, you know, those few hours before the selection show, uh, I think uh, we'll obviously see a lot of these um, a lot of these dominoes fall 
And think once they start falling, it's we'll probably get some get a little clearer picture of what's going to go, what's going to happen. Well, that was going to lead me to my next question because a lot of years, especially with the lower tier bowl games, we find out the matchups even before Championship Saturday because you know they, they like to lock those up and they'll, they'll go ahead and get leaked out or someone will say, "Hey, we're committed to going to this bowl game." You feel like we're going to have to wait until Sunday to actually find out where the Cajuns are going. Um. Again, I, I think this if 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 Army doesn't apply for the exemption, um, I, we'll probably we'll probably know before Sunday if if you like if UL is playing the Independence Bowl, we'll probably know before Sunday. I got you. Um, yeah, you know, but some of these others, you know, you just like I said, you know, some of these some of these Power Five teams, you know, that potentially could you know make the playoff, and so therefore, you know, they're taking up a playoff spot, and that leaves a New Year's Six Bowl open, so they'll have to have a second, say, Pac-12 team go to the Rose Bowl or you know something like that. You know, some of those other bowls that are tied in with multiple conferences like that, they possibly could want to wait. But obviously, the, I mean, the earlier the earlier in bowl season that these games happen, I mean, that's why you see a lot of these matchups get, you know, out on like the, you know, the Thursday or Friday before selection Sunday, because I mean, they got to sell tickets. You right. Know? So that's part of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So if, if they, you know, if, if they want to sell as many tickets as possible, you know, you kind of want to have your, your tickets on the market as long as possible. And so um, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we, that we know, say, you know, Thursday or Friday one where Louisiana could be going to play in a bowl game. But I do also think it's possible that some of these some of these destinations might want to see what shakes out um, in some of these conference championship games, especially on the P5 level, because it could open up some, some lower-tier bowls for, you know, some G5 schools. Corey, I'll get you out of here with this. Uh, what do you make of the men's basketball team and how they've started the season? I'll be honest, I'll be three. I hadn't I hadn't been around them yet. Um, but just from looking at some of the results and, and, and seeing what they've done, I mean obviously I know they won the tournament in Nashville. Uh there were some decent teams, some teams that have, you know, in the last three or four years, you know, been NCAA tournament teams. Um I, I I don't know if you can I don't know if you can ask for much more, right? Um, you know, you got the preseason player of the year on your team and, and uh you're you were voted the the preseason favorite to win the conference and, and obviously if those results hold uh, you're going to the NCAA tournament, so um, but you know you got you still got to play the games. Um, so, but I don't I don't think I don't think Marlon and his guys I don't think they can ask for much more so far. I mean I know uh, they, I think they lost to Drake the other day on the road. Um, that's a that's a tough place to play, man. It's like you know it's like trying to go to Creighton to win a basketball game. It's like it's nearly impossible, you know. So going to that part of the country and trying to win a basketball game is 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 wild but it's it's good it's good for a team to get that kind of test early in the year because you know those are the those are the types of environments and teams that you're going to see you know um and when it comes postseason time so you have to have that experience and and uh and be able to to have that on your resume you know um so we'll see how it shakes out man because you know i think we got what probably seven or eight more non-conference games before they get into sunbelt play so um They'll probably feel really good about where they are um, heading into conference play. I would, I would assume. Corey, get you some sleep, bud. Enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Yeah, man, sounds great. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, <laughs> go ahead and go back to sleep now. Um, 
I brewed, I brewed some coffee, but I'm not going to drink it just yet. I'm going to go back to sleep. Yeah, that's right. When you wake up, that pot of coffee will be nice and cold. But <laughs> well, I'll let you later, brother. All right, man. Take care. We appreciate Corey waking up to come do our show and then go right back to sleep. We do appreciate that. We're going to take a timeout. When we return here at RP3 and Company, Bayou Classic was this weekend. Southern put on a show, gets the W, and they move on to the SWAC championship game to take on Jackson State on Saturday. We'll recap the Bayou Classic. That's next coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, don't forget to go visit AcadianaDeals.com for great deals that help you with Christmas shopping. Look, right now, today, you can get yourself a $30 voucher to Mudcat Whiskers for just $15. That's right, a $30 voucher to Mudcat Whiskers for only $15. But once again, you got to go visit AcadianaDeals.com. That's AcadianaDeals.com today to get that $30 voucher to Mudcat Whiskers for only $15. While you're there, check out the great deal on gourmet popcorn as well. We talked about it earlier. Woo! Get some good deals. Hint, hint to anyone listening that is somehow related to your trip. We talked about how a bad weekend for LSU, bad weekend for Saints, but it was a good weekend for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. It was also a good weekend for the Southern Jaguars. Bayou Classic, one of the best events that the state puts on, held every year down in New Orleans inside the Superdome. Southern Grambling. And this game started off slow for the Jags. They did. 62,000 folks in attendance inside the Dome, geared up, ready to go. But Southern, despite the sluggish start, pulled out a 34-17 victory over its arch rival. 22-yard touchdown run by quarterback and game MVP. McCray gave Southern the lead for good with 13-30 remaining. And the defense polished it off. They stepped up when they needed to. Jordan Carter returned a fumble 48 yards for a touchdown. Derrick Williams forced it. And Kristen Davis followed that up with a 42-yard interception return for another score. So two defensive scores were the cherry on top for Southern. As the Jaguars improved to 7-4 and four overall on the season. 5-3 and three in the SWAC. And they end up winning the West division title. And that means they get to take on whole Jackson State in the SWAC championship game. That's going to be held in Jackson. The winner of that game will get a berth into the Celebration Bowl, which is considered the national championship for HBCUs. Now, it's going to be a tough task for Southern they got kind of, let's be honest, manhandled by Deion Sanders' team, JSU, 35 nothing in the previous meeting. But it's hard to beat a team twice. We've seen this over and over again, 
particularly in college sports, it's hard to beat a team twice. But it didn't even look like they were going to have a chance to get another crack at Jackson State because early in this ballgame, they were struggling against a bad Grambling team. This Grambling team, with the loss, fell to 3-8 and eight overall, 2-6 and six in swack play. Not a vintage Tiger team by any stretch of the imagination. But Grambling came in with a good game plan early on, especially defensively, as they forced the Jaguars to run more plays than they actually had yards. There was a point in this game where they had 14 plays for only 12 yards and punted three times and only had one first down. It couldn't have started worse for Southern. But they turned it around. They started a rally there in the second quarter. Had back-to-back touchdown runs. They capitalized, got up 14-10, and then they really never looked back. So congratulations to Southern for winning the Bayou Classic, winning the SWAC West title, and now they'll get another chance at Jackson State, who they'll face on Saturday in the SWAC championship game. It's going to be held over in Jackson. Winner, going to be conference champ, obviously, but also going to get a chance to go play in the Celebration Bowl. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk New Orleans Saints football with Ross Jackson of the Locked on Saints podcast. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. It is time to challenge the positivity, just the natural good nature of our next guest because my man is a beaming ray of positivity day in and day out, especially when it comes to the New Orleans Saints. But he's got his work cut out for him this morning. Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast joins us now. My brother. Uh, how you feeling today? Let, let's just start there. <laughs> it sure was an interesting day yesterday watching the New Orleans Saints go from their absolute best performance of the season against the Los Angeles Rams to the absolute worst performance oh. we've seen from this team in quite some time uh, up against the San Francisco 49ers in their first shutout in nearly 20 years. That was a rough one to watch RP3. So let me tell you, I, uh, I, uh, where I am not lacking positivity in life, I am lacking a little positivity in football right now. First shutout in 20 years. Last team to do it was the 49ers, and the team that did it the three times before then were the 49ers as well. So there's some nice history there. (laughs) Uh, I want to start with Alvin Kamara because he entered this season only fumbling, losing seven fumbles in his career. Mm -hmm. A great career, really. Uh, He has four this year. He has not looked himself. He's not been a dynamic playmaker for this team. Part of that's play calling. Part of it is just his inability to be able to get into space and make things happen. Uh, Man, uh, worst season yet for Kamara, right? Yeah, I think so. And, and and I think he's rightfully he might be, you know, rightfully frustrated if he is frustrated as well. I mean, you know, you saw the shots of him on the bench yesterday with the two, excuse me, with the two fumbles lost in this game. 
believe the first time he's lost multiple fumbles in a game uh, in his career. He's, you know, kind of been, uh, you know, like you mentioned, he, he hasn't been out in space very much this season. Play calling's been a little bit strange in terms of the utilization of him. And then, you know, when he does have these opportunities and he's making things happen, he's, you know, coughing up the football. And and it brings me back to when Sean Payton, you know, used to, was the head coach of this team. And one of the things that players always mentioned that Payton taught them was every time that you have the football in your hand, I believe it was Benjamin Watson who talked about this. Every time that you have the football in your hand, you hold the hopes and dreams of every new Orleans saints fan. And he made it such a big deal to have the football in their hands. Now we see players this season fumbling the saints with 21 turnovers on the season. And we don't see that kind of fire or grit coming from uh, the coaches when it comes to putting the ball on the ground. And so it's that's been an interesting additional sort of layer to watch in the equation around how often the Saints have turned over the football. The other thing that stands out to me, and it, it reared its ugly head again yesterday. And look, San Francisco's got a salty defense, and they're a team that's ascending. And I can make the argument they may end up being the best team in the NFC when it's all said and done at the end of the season. But for the sixth time this season, this team did not eclipse 100 yards net rushing. Yep. And, yeah, and that's been huge for them. And that and that's always been part. You know, we think of the Sean Payne offense. We think of all the passing yardage. But they all always were able to run the football effectively. Mm-hmm. This team can't run the football, Ross. I mean, they've had a couple of games where they had a good rushing game against Seattle, right? They had a decent yep. over 100 yards against Raiders. Both of those were wins. And, and they had another good game against Cincinnati, a game they should have won that they let slip through their hands. But for right. the most part, this team can't run the football. Why? I, I that's a that's a tough question to answer. I, I think that there are a couple of different pieces to it. Uh, I think that the lack of committing to the run game is a part of it. But even when they do commit to the run game, they they've been averaging two and a half to between two and a half to three and a half yards per carry. Uh, on the ground and so some of it is that the offensive line isn't resetting the line of scrimmage when we talk about resetting the line of scrimmage we mean that if the ball is being snapped from the 25 but those offensive linemen get push uh, on the line of scrimmage and move the defensive lineman back one yard or two yards then all of a sudden you're resetting the offensive line or the line of scrimmage to the 26 or the 27 so you're gaining two yards for your running back so that was a big part of what the New Orleans Saints saw in terms of their success in the run game since probably about 2017 or so has been gaining those yards for the running back and then the running back being able to get to the second level. Right now, we're not seeing runs get to the second level. We're not seeing blockers get to the second level very much either because a lot of these guys are getting up or or end up being kind of eaten up at the line of scrimmage. So I think that you lack the push there. I think another part of it is just the kind of lack of diversity in that run game. I mean, the Saints have sort of predictably run the ball on second and longs nearly 50% of the time so far this season. And I mean, second and 10 or longer, they're running nearly 50% of the time. So there are also predictable traits within what the Saints are doing in their run game. Uh, And I think to the other piece, particularly with yesterday, was that you're not getting the chunk plays that you would get from maybe Taysom Hill breaking a run for 15, 12 yards, uh, even Alvin Kamara breaking a run for, for 10, 15 yards, things like that. And oftentimes when you have gotten those big plays, sometimes it's ended in a turnover or you haven't been able to capitalize on that momentum. So you're seeing a lot of teams that aren't afraid of the Saints passing attack, 
buckling down, stopping the run, focusing on keeping the run game at home, not allowing the Saints to be multidimensional, and doing what the Saints have been doing to opposing teams since 2017, forcing them to abandon their run game and go to their passing game because of either A, inefficiencies in that run game, or B, because of uh, point deficit being built up. That's what the Saints defense was their recipe for success for the past five or seven, five to seven years. Now we're seeing it being done to the New Orleans Saints. I don't know what a catch is anymore because <laughs> neither, does the NFL. <laughs> neither does the NFL because they keep just muddling it. It looked like a catch to me, Alave's catch in yesterday's game. I don't mm. think it would have made that much of a difference uh, in the end results because I just think they were just outplayed in most facets. But I, does the NFL have an issue with this? And what I mean by this, obviously – they're confused on what a catch is and what it isn't, and there's not consistency. But do they really have an issue? Because if the NFL really cared, they'd fix this, right? But they don't right. care because people still watch and they still make advertising revenue. Yeah, it's such an interesting conundrum because, you know, the thing that has made the NFL so exciting since, you know, days past is the forward pass. It was, you know, a big revelation when it first started, and now you talk about you know, Justin Herbert, you talk about Patrick Mahomes, you talk about these guys that are lighting up the NFL or that, you know, would be lighting up the NFL if it wouldn't be for, you know, head coaching problems when it comes to Los Angeles Chargers. But, you know, everything about what makes the NFL so exciting is the air game. And so it's the most important element of making your product sellable, but yet you can't figure out a way to um, define what it is in the first place or what a catch is in the first place. And, You've been to all of the other rules, the roughing the passer rules, the pass interference rules, the ticky-tacky fouls down the field against defensive backs. You've angled the game so far against defenses now, but yet you still can't define what the biggest moment is. And so it, it, it's, it is a uh, – I can't put words to how confusing it is considering that that is the main selling point of your league, and you can't sit down and tell any person – or Better yet, you can't sit down with any official, with any number of officials or any number of NFL personnel and get the same answer from multiple people about what a catch is or is not. It's it's such a confusing thing considering how important it is to the essence of the game that they sell. We're talking with Ross Jackson of the Locked on Saints podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company for the Big Easy Blitz. Andy Dalton was not good. And the offense sputters yet another time with him at the helm I'm not putting it all on at, at, at the bottom of you know Andy's sure. feet here because right. that's not fair play calling is a role in this offensive line lack of running game all, all that plays a huge factor here but it sure does seem like DA is committed 110 percent to roll with the red rifle do you believe they need to change it up and put Jameis back out there even though he may not be 100 percent healthy I think if he's healthy enough to play, then yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it is that Andy Dalton brings to this game that Jameis Winston doesn't, and I can't figure out what it is that Jameis Winston does bring to the game that is unique that you're going to find with Andy Dalton. I, I don't see what those things are, and I understand that people will talk about, well, you want to have you know a higher floor in Andy Dalton, but the floor is now being shut out on the offensive side for the first time in 332 games. So if that's your higher floor, 
uh, I challenge you to show me where Jameis Winston gives you a lower floor than that and where his ceiling doesn't make a, you know, a bit of a difference. So if he's healthy enough to be out there, I don't see why you don't at this point outside of the fact that maybe they don't expect to have Jameis Winston in the building next year, which at this point, I wouldn't blame him for wanting out. And so maybe that's a situation to where they say, okay, well, we're just going to roll with the guy that, you know, they committed to because that's the easiest thing to do. And, and don't get me wrong. Look, Andy put two touchdowns on one on Juwan Johnson, one on Taysom Hill, both of them ricocheted off their face mask. Um, he had a nice play to Alvin Kamara that, you know, Alvin tried to fight for the extra yards to get across the goal line, ended up in the fumble. And so those things aren't, like you mentioned, not all of it is 100% on Andy Dalton. But this is also a team that since week seven, or excuse me, week eight against the Las Vegas Raiders, hasn't been able to convert more than four, four third downs in a game. Oh. If, the con- if the conditions aren't perfect around Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton is not going to elevate the rest of the team. That's just not going to happen. The team has to elevate that position of play. And... We saw that yesterday with, you know, passes being put on receivers, but the receivers not being able to capitalize on those. But again, we're seeing those passes go to Juwan Johnson and Taysom Hill. We're not seeing those passes go to guys like Jarvis Landry and Chris Olave. And so there is something to be said in that as well in terms of like where you're picking and choosing those spots. But there are other areas on this offense where they have severely underperformed that do point back at the quarterback position. And so I don't understand why if this is your floor, your first shutout in over 330 games, I don't understand how this feels like the right thing to continue to move forward with. Defense did its job for the most part, right? They kept mm-hmm. Jimmy G intact in with the exception of the touchdown pass. Bottled up the run game. Uh, mm-hmm. Kept, did a nice job there. You hold the opposition to 13 points. Nine times out of 10, you should win that game. Uh, the For me, with the exception of, you know, I don't know what Chris Harris was out there doing and who who he was doing it for or what he was thinking in that game because he had some moments where you're like, man, what you doing? But with the exception of that, they did a nice job. They just can't get it all together, Ross, right? I mean, when the offense is, is having a good game, the defense falters. When the defense has a good game, the offense can't get its act together. They just can't seemingly put it all together in one game or back-to-back games, rather. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. it. It's it's the continuity or or you know the cohesiveness of taking success from one game and translating it to the next game. And you know, look, the San Francisco 49ers are a fantastic team. And so when you have a team that has guys like Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, and George Kittle, and they can even produce with their fullback Kyle Yushek, when you have all of those guys on that offense and you keep them from getting to the end zone but once and you hold them to 13 points, your defense did a fantastic job. Oh, and, and by the way, did all of that on the road as well. Defense does travel, of course, but you limited that offense in their home stadium. I thought the defense did a fantastic job in this one. As you mentioned, there were some question mark moments. Uh, even the touchdown, right, it getting deflected by Tyron Matthew up into the air, but then Juwan Jennings still coming down with it. Overall, it's, it's a plus-minus type of a play. And so... When you look at what the Saints did, keeping the run game, which now features Christian McCaffrey, to uh, 3.3 yards per carry, limiting Christian McCaffrey to only 32 rushing yards for 11 uh, on 11 carries, 
at 2.9 uh, yards per carry. They did a phenomenal job. They did a very good job in in, in protecting the run game. They also limited the San Francisco 49ers to only 4.7 yards per play. That's below the league's worst on a game-by-game basis. So I thought the defense did a, did a fantastic job. You would have liked to have seen them get to Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit more, a couple more sacks. And, of course, the one thing that this defense still has not been able to do consistently this season is generate turnovers. You finally got one. It ends up being called back due to an illegal hands-to-the-face penalty. So, you know, you finally get one there from Alante Taylor and you step on your own foot. And so even in moments where the defense has – performed extremely well they've still been in situations where even they much like the offense are shooting themselves in the foot so you do need to clean up some of those things but this defense gave the new orleans saints an opportunity to win the saints offense however on the opposite side couldn't get out of their own way and now they fall to four and eight and really don't have any shot at at really anything and now they get to go on the road and get to play Monday night football <laughs> on the road against another bad football team in the Tampa Bay Bucks. What what are your just expectations, or what should the expectations be heading into that game, Ross? Rather, yeah, I, I think the expectation should be minimal going into that game. I think that it's a game that you watch because you like to cheer on your favorite team, but I wouldn't come in with any expectations of the Saints going out there and disappointing Tampa in uh in tampa bay at raymond james stadium now the raymond james stadium games are always weird and wild and wacky nine to zero shutout you know 38 to three blowouts things like that so you know it's always worth watching but i wouldn't go in with any large expectations i think the thing for the new orleans saints right now is to figure out what kind of talent they have on the roster continue to compete because technically they're still alive if the perfect best case scenario happens next week though they've still got just barely over a 25 percent chance to make the playoffs so alive is a loose term in that case and so i think that at this point you start to look at a new orleans saints team that wants to see what they've got in trevor penning who got his first snaps in the nfl this uh on yesterday um you want to you know you know what you already have in chris olavi but you want to get a better look and more looks at alante taylor you want to get more looks at rashid shaheed who you know is coming on more and more every week i think you start to look at the evaluation process or you begin the evaluation process of the talent that you have on the roster and at this point just throw it all out there i mean what do you you know there'd be no reason to hold back anymore so the last thing that you want to do is be a bad and boring football team so you can at least go into this game and try not to be boring because we saw a little bit of both in that San Francisco 49ers loss. Ross, appreciate your time as always, your positivity. Get you out of here with this last question. Need to be brief. You're the most positive, upbeat, take the high road guy I know, with the exception of one thing Ooh. Anthony Davis. That's facts. <laughs> that's facts. That's as, that's as far. That's all, folks. That man, all, folks. you're still giving that man the business on social media, dude. <laughs> I love it. You're so upbeat in everything except for when it comes to AD. AD opens up his mouth and you're just ready to pounce on him like My a tiger. Burrows. Oh, dude. Quickly. Dude. Uh, keep up the tremendous work with Locked On, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for having me on. That's Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast, joining us here for the Big Easy Blitz. we got to take a timeout when we return. We'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foote and a non-glorious edition of Footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. (laughs) 
Oh, the World Cup is back, and you can watch thrilling action on Delta Media's Telemundo Lafayette free over the air on KLWB Channel 50.3 and Cox Channel 19. And for our friends in Lake Charles, not to worry, you can do so as well. Watch on Telemundo Lake Charles free over the air on Channel 19.2 and suddenly Channel 137. That's thrilling World Cup action right here on Delta Media. Poll question of the day, final results. We asked you, which Louisiana team has the best chance of winning its conference title game? 84% of you overwhelmingly say Tulane versus UCF. 10% say Southern versus Jackson State in the SWAC championship. And only 6% of you say LSU versus Georgia in the SEC championship. Appreciate all who voted, all who commented as well. Appreciate you taking part in the poll question of the day. Thank our guest. Hey, man, they helped us kick off this week on the right foot. Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio. Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser, Louisiana Raging Cajuns beat reporter. And, of course, Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. Whew, that's going to do it for today's show. It's been a good one. We talked about LSU. We talked about Cajuns. We talked about Bayou Classic, Tulane, Saints, the craziness in college football. That's why you play the games. Number two, number five, number eight, number nine, all lost on Saturday. And even though it looks like TCU is going to get in with a win over Kansas State, even though it looks like USC is going to win if they beat Utah, the team that beat them earlier this season, by the way, you never do know what's going to happen in college football. That's what makes the sport so amazing. You can never tell what's going to happen. You think you know. But you really don't. You really don't. Because it's a game played by 17, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. That's the difference. And that's what makes it amazing. That's going to do it for us. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parsa III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.